Warning, this podcast may contain graphic and triggering content. Please listen at your own risk. Each individual struggle is different and everyone's recovery and healing journey is different. Please reach out to a certified medical professional if you need help. Welcome to episode 23 of Stomp the Stigma, the podcast aimed to fight the stigma surrounding mental health through education, awareness, experiences, stories, resources, and the vulnerable truth. Joining me to Stomp the Stigma today is Laura Hudson. She's here to talk about her experiences with eating disorders, skin picking, depression, physical trauma, and how all of these labels don't define us, even though we struggle with them every single day. She's also here to share how she's managed to move through all of these issues and to talk about her very own podcast that she started called How to Be Okay So That Everything Else Doesn't Have to Be. She dives into how to be okay with yourself without seeking happiness and validation from the outside world and how she has come to terms with that herself. This was such a great conversation and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Well, first of all, I, I want to thank you for joining me and coming on this podcast. I'm so excited to hear your story. I know um, very few details about it already, but I, I feel like I already relate to you so much. And I know that a lot of my listeners will too. So yeah. thank you. Oh, thank, thank you for, you for having me on, Alana. I'm really excited to be here and, and share my story. And I'm so excited that this is like your first time on another I, podcast I know I, I was saying yesterday I'm like I'm really good at asking questions and getting other people to tell their stories but this is the first time being in the hot seat mm-hmm. but I'm super excited to share my story and hopefully some people can relate to it and find some help out of it somehow yeah oh absolutely okay yeah. so your mental health journey has not been an easy one from <laughs> binge eating depression anxiety uh, skin picking disorder, a little bit of physical trauma. There's been so much. Um, I guess to start, do you remember kind of the beginning or when you first started noticing um, these thoughts and feelings related to like your mental health struggles? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, honestly, I think for like as long as I can remember, I have always tried to like source my okayness from outside of myself and I think that just comes down to the fact that like I have always really struggled to love and accept myself and just provide myself with compassion and validation and I think that as humans we all need that and so I think like my young self was like okay well if you're not gonna give it to me like I'll just go elsewhere for it so I was like obsessed with good grades I um, was an athlete and I like had to be the best I um when I got into high school I was obsessed with like fitting in with the cool crowd and um wanted attention from the boys and so my eating disorder kicked off in about grade nine grade ten because I wanted to look like the other girls who were getting attention from boys. And so I feel like I pretty much just always felt like I was chasing after happiness outside of myself. Um, 
but I had, I mean, I've had a fairly like happy childhood. I had loving parents, like a good home life, but Mm -hmm. I just like internally was always kind of at war with myself and really, really critical and hard on myself. And I think that the problem with that approach of needing everyone else to be okay with you to be okay is that a, you don't have any control over the waves. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, as much as I convince myself, like if I study hard enough, if I work hard enough at practice, if I restrict my eating enough, if I say the right thing to the right person at the right time, like everything will be okay and I'll be okay, happy. That's not the case. Obviously there's so much that's outside of your control and you can't control the waves. Um, you can just kind of surf them. But then also as like a highly sensitive perfectionist, um, people pleaser, whenever I got any type of negative feedback, whether it was from a teacher or a coach or a friend or a boy, it would just cut me so deep, like just destroy me. And so I just went through life just so fragile and unable to take any sort of negativity or criticism of myself because that person was holding on to like everything that I was okay without realizing it. And so that was kind of like my way of approaching life. And then it all kind of came down, kind of my first kind of crashing down happened after my first year of university. And I can kind of share that story, but maybe I'll pause. Um, Did I kind of answer your question to start though? Yeah. And everything you just said, I'm like, oh my God, we are, (laughs) we are so (laughs) similar. This is crazy. (laughs) Just trying to find happiness and okayness outside of yourself and trying to get that like validation from external sources is that was a huge part of my journey too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's not easy doing it that way. (laughs) Okay, so this might be kind of a a big, broad question. Um, But can you kind of walk us through your journey and your experiences like was that a linear journey did you experience these different issues like one after another or was it all kind of at the same time um and can you yeah kind of go through that whole journey up to this point yeah so I would say my anxiety like I was always a very anxious kid and I think that came from like my obsession with controlling my environment because I needed it to be okay so that I was okay so like I was up so late the night before my first day of grade three because I was so stressed that like I was coming from another school and I was certain that they the students in the school that I was going back to was um, they had learned like handwriting and multiplication or something. And I didn't learn it. And my parents like could not calm me down. Like I was so stressed out, like about grade three and every parent teacher interview from like my very beginning all the way through, it was like the exact same script where the teacher would come and be like, Laura's a great student, but like, she just needs to chill out. Like she's fine. And my parents were like, we know, like we do this every year. Like, we don't know why, but I was just always just like really high strung and really anxious as a kid. And then, so I would say the anxiety was kind of the first thing. And then I alluded to this kind of crash after my first year university. So that was when the depression really crept in. So what happened there was there was a multitude of factors like 
for example, I had just been, I was on Accutane for my acne at the time. And we know that Accutane can lead to depression. Yeah. It's proven. Um, as well as I was newly a vegetarian. And so I was eating like peanut butter sandwiches. So I was very B12 deficient. There's no doubt because B12 comes from animals and um, that can lead to depression as well. Um, there was, um, it was, I was trying to just navigate being at an in university and my friend group was changing. There was a lot of environmental factors. The summer after my first year university, I kind of had a traumatic sexual experience that I did not process at all at the time. Um, I was also kind of estranged from my sister, um, which I have an episode of that in my own podcast. We can kind of get into it if you want, but I was feeling really distant and disconnected from her. Um, and so there were so many different things going on that that was the first time that I really experienced like suicide ideation. And I kind of shared with you a little bit yesterday that there was like one time in my life where I got like really actually the closest, I guess I had ever come. And that was that summer. Um, after my first year, um, I, my dad has some health complications. So he always has like a big thing of pills in his drawer. And, um, I just remember like actually going and grabbing the pills and like sitting them beside my bed and like sitting down in bed and I was going to do it. I was going to do it. And for some reason I didn't. Um, but it was very clear. I think to my family, I was living with my parents at the time that I was not well. And so they took me to my family doctor and really quickly he was like, you, you're depressed. Like you have depression. And he, he really like, said it in a way or I interpreted in a way that was like it was like a like a death sentence in a way like it was this really heavy label that I was like at 19 was like whoa what like it wasn't it wasn't like oh there's a lot of different factors that could be contributing so let's try to like get you on b12 let's get you off Accutane let's deal with this and we'll check back in like it was like this temporary thing like he approached it or I interpreted it from this way of like this is you now and there's no turning back and this is a label that you have to wear now so we can get into that but that was kind of when depression entered into it and then um oh sorry I skipped over my eating disorder so many things <laughs> so my eating disorder like I said was kind of grade nine grade ten I got to high school um I really wanted every all the boys to like me and get me attention and I was never a larger kid but I was like athletic build five, eight. And I, all the girls were like five, one super petite. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just look like them. I'll eat like them. And they all kind of had their own disordered eating patterns. And so that was when I started. Um, it started first off just being really restrictive. And then it got to the point where I was then th throwing up. Um, I also tried a few different things but it was kind of bulimia was the main one which my mom ended up like walking in on me and found out and took me to a nutritionist and whatever but I still struggle with binge eating 10 years later um I haven't made myself throw up since high school but like my binge eating is like it's kind of ebbs and flows and I'm actually like right now I'm like in a big ebb um but so that was the eating disorder the depression and then the last kind of piece was um after my, in my second year of university, I was studying abroad. Um, and I think I was just completely overwhelmed, um, with like my new diagnosis and kind of coming to terms with that and that, um, sexual traumatic experience that I had like definitely not processed and was definitely like affecting me, but I didn't want to 
admit it. Um, and so many other things that I think I just hit a breaking point where I was like, I need to like hijack the system here and make myself feel okay. And that was when my skin picking started. Um, so my skin picking, it's called a body focused repetitive behavior or a BFRB. It's kind of in the same family as like hair pulling. It's a like repetitive compulsive grooming behavior. And for me, it started as a way of just trying to cope. Um, it helped me numb out because when I was picking at my skin, I wasn't thinking it was like an escape from my brain, which was such an unpleasant place to be. Mm -hmm. um, and then it also helped me if I was like understimulated, I would pick if I was overstimulated, I would pick like, I know now that I'm a highly sensitive person. And so I just have a really sensitive nervous system. And this it was my way of hacking that and trying to kind of bring my nervous system into equilibrium whenever I was over or understimulated, which was often. So I guess to answer your question, that was kind of the order of events. <laughs> wow. That's so much. But I feel like I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, there's so many things to go over. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry that you have been through all of that. Oh, and, thank but you. I know that you're doing a lot better today. And I mean, our healing journeys are still ongoing. So I'm, I'm really happy with, um, I'm really happy for you that you're at this point where you're at. Thanks. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny because there, there are days when I kind of, something will come up and it'll just be like, really? Like another thing? Like, don't, don't I have enough? But there are also so kind of that self-pity can definitely creep in from time to time. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's tough to look at my peers who just seem to go through yeah. life so easily. And um, I kind of, my favorite like analogy for it is like, life is like, we're all scuba diving or something, but like, I just have a snorkel set. Like I just, I don't mm -hmm. feel equipped mm -hmm. in the same way that they do where like, but they're like, Laura, like, come on, come on down. Like, let's do this. And I'm like struggling to just like gasp for air when my little yeah. snorkel set. And I'm like, I just don't feel equipped. And I just don't feel like I was given the same blank slate that they all were. And that's, that's yeah. of course, life. We all have different kind of experiences that put us where we are. But um, I think on a good day, I can recognize that like, I am also really grateful mm -hmm. for a lot of my suffering yeah. because it's given me so much compassion for other people um and I that's one of my favorite qualities about myself is my compassion and my empathy and then it's also like I find people who have struggled with their mental health like, to be some of the most like resilient strong self-aware people that I know because you're forced to just a suffer and be resilient but then b like get to know yourself because and then I find people who know themselves um to be so much more enjoyable to connect with because yeah. they're aware of what their ticks are and what they're what they're bringing to any given experience so their eyes are more open um so yeah it's a it's a double-edged sword like obviously there's a lot of tough parts to it but on, on the good days like I can actually be kind of grateful for it at the same time mm -hmm. oh yeah I totally get that I love that yeah. analogy too the snorkeling analogy that's that is so spot on. I love that. Yeah. Or the like the other one that I say is um, it's like we're oh, what is it in old Roman times? They would be in the Colosseum and there would be like fights 
gladiator fights. Mm, yeah, like yeah, yeah. everyone is given, we're all in a gladiator fight and like all my friends have like all of the weapons that they could possibly need. And I'm like a spoon <laughs> <laughs> expected to kind of like do the same things. And yeah. I'm like, fuck off, are you serious? Like <laughs> what am I doing with this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> okay, was there kind of a low point for you when you kind of realized, okay, maybe there's something wrong or like maybe I need to get help or turn to somebody? Um, was that kind of when you were sitting there with those pills or was there a, a, a low point for you um, elsewhere? I think sitting there on my bed with those pills was definitely a low point absolutely but in terms of a point where I like recognize like I need to do something different here like this isn't working was actually a number of years later um unfortunately for me I spent a lot more years after that time sitting on the bed trying to find okayness and happiness outside of myself in fact like all through university my plan was to move out to Vancouver I went to the University of Regina in Saskatchewan where my hometown is and I had it in my head that as soon as I graduate I'm moving to Vancouver and for some reason I had it in my head that like all of my problems would stay behind and I would just get to Vancouver and I would be this like cool west coast girl working at my dream job, hanging on the mountains, like living my best life. And so I was just like, I just have to get to Vancouver. I just have to get to Vancouver. And so 2015 spring, I graduate university and literally moved out to Vancouver before my convocation ceremony. Like I was just like, boom, I'm gone. I was out. And that experience was so pivotal for me in my life because long story short, I crashed so hard, like face plant. (laughs) I was working at a job that was like barely, it was a nonprofit. I was barely making minimum wage in Vancouver, the most expensive city in the country, Um, could not afford anything. I was so homesick, so far away from my friends and family, deep in the throes of my disordered eating because I was trying to find healing and just comfort in food. Um, so like mentally unwell and I stayed there for like nine or ten months and then it was just really clear that I needed to come home because I was like so unwell Mm -hmm. and I I didn't want to accept defeat especially because I was like but this is the place where I get happy this is the place where I live the life that I've been waiting to live I can't go home and just be in my parents basement again like for so long Mm -hmm. I had held on to this hope that like it was all going to get better when I got there and it didn't Mm -hmm. got worse. And so I finally accepted defeat and moved home to my parents' basement after like 10 months, had to quit my job. And that was really the start of my healing journey because I think for the first time, I also just by the, like just serendipitous moment found this book called what's in the way is the way by Mary O'Malley I talk about this book a lot because it absolutely changed the trajectory of my life and essentially what I learned from that book was that I had tried to change everything I possibly could to try to feel happy my body my job my city you name it um and it never worked I was I would lose the 10 pounds and I wasn't happy. I would move to Vancouver and I just got more depressed. Like, and I recognized through reading that book that there was like one thing that I never did try to change through 
that whole time. And that was my brain, like my mind, like the thing through which all of the other things were being experienced. And when I recognized that, it was like this massive aha moment where I'm like, oh, like light, happiness doesn't exist in the external. Like it only exists in the internal in this exact moment. And it's up to me if I want to feel it. Like that's how happiness works mm -hmm. actually. And it was this big moment and I felt like I was like, oh my God, I get it now. Like I finally figured out life, like yay. But then that was like soon followed by like, I was still searching for happiness in the external and I had no idea how to find happiness in the internal because when I believed that happiness existed in a size six pair of jeans, I, I could do that. I could, you know, like I could restrict myself and exercise and like get my body to a certain point. And so even though it was outside of myself, I, it was always like just up the road and I could see it. Um, but as soon as I recognized like, oh shit, that's not actually how it works. I became really overwhelmed because I'm like, I have no idea how to feel happy with my current moment and my present moment. And so I like dived into all of these different areas of psychology and Buddhism and Eastern spirituality and psychology and yoga. And I, it was really a pivotal moment for me in that journey. Um, so I would say Vancouver was the real that was like the lowest crash, like mm -hmm. faceplant moment that mm -hmm. sparked everything else. I think there's a big difference between um, kind of a point when you realize that you really need help versus the point when you realize that your mental health issues or your illnesses are not going to define you and you're going to kind of look to yourself to get better. You know what I mean? I think for me, because we talked about this yesterday, I when I went to my family doctor to try and, and get a referral to like a psychologist or somebody because I knew that I was in such a dark place that I needed some help from somebody else. But I don't think that I really started to heal fully until maybe a couple of years ago when I kind of realized, okay, I've lost myself and I need to find who I am in order to be happy and I guess exactly what your podcast is about, not looking elsewhere for my happiness or my okayness. Yeah. And you make you make such a good point about, like, we wear these kind of labels. And I think mm -hmm. I have such a complicated relationship with labels yeah. where, like, in some ways, I'm like, they're so great. They really help me. They help me identify who I am and make sense of my experience. And then in other ways, I'm like they do not serve me. Like I have worn this label of like, I'm a depressed, anxious person since I was 19 sitting in my doctor's office. Mm -hmm. And it's really affected everything. Like I, like, I think even when dating, I'm like, Oh, would he really want to be with like a depressed person? Like, it's just yeah. this massive, like, label it's like the first thing you should know is like I'm I have depression and then it's like oh by the way my name's Laura <laughs> you know and and yeah. I think that it's only been in the like past like maybe six months that I've really started to like question how that's serving me and being like Laura like you were 19 you were on Accutane which causes depression you were b12 deficient you were going through some major environmental factors you were trying to process some trauma you were depressed at that moment in time and your doctor identified it and gave you meds 
but I have been taking meds every single day for the past 10 years. And I'm like, what if I'm not like, what if that was just a period of depression and I'm actually, I'm actually okay. And so I don't know what I'm trying to say because I'm like literally just exploring this, but I'm, I'm actually just starting to like as much as it took me a lot of years to accept that. And then a more, a few more years to be really proud of it and like vocalize it and be an advocate for mental health. And that's, I still am. But at the same time, I'm like questioning how much it serves you to like wear that label versus just be like, this was just a part of my past. And it's not actually who I am in this exact moment, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You kind of alluded to the sense of control that comes with um, eating disorders or disordered eating control in other aspects of your life as well. So if you could get the body that um, you wanted, maybe you could get the guys or become this cool kid or control other things in your life, a sense of comfort from food too. And everyone has different ways of coping with their mental health issues and ways that they handle those things. So I'm curious for you, what has helped you heal and kind of move through um, each of those struggles or, or something that has helped everything as a whole? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I would say some of the biggest things that have helped me were um, talking about it, like vocalizing it and just owning owning it as part of myself. Like the perfect example was my BFRB, like my skin picking disorder. Mm-hmm. That's a really hard one to swallow because there's a lot of shame that comes with that. And it just feels like a really bad habit that you should kick. And it's really challenging to like accept it about yourself and so I like for um years just like held that inside of myself and like my immediate family knew and I hid it from everybody else and when I finally got to a point where I started telling my closest friends about it it was the most liberating experience to just be like this is me this is something that is a part of me Um, and to have my friends be like, cool, where should we go for lunch? Like that's, it's not something that is like, makes us love you less. Like, and I think that was, that was really healing was starting to own my story and share it more. So I like did some writing about my experience with depression and I got that out there and I talked to friends and, and now I have this podcast. Like, so for me personally, sh- sharing it helps me process it and own it and move through it. I think also journaling has been like one of my best tools because for me, like my thoughts can be so harsh and so harmful and so irrational. Um, and so I think when I like put pen to paper and I just like start my day by like writing out here are the thoughts that are going through my head. It helps me to recognize that like, this is not my reality. This is my perception of reality, but like, Mm -hmm. it's not reality. Like it's that dissociation between my thoughts and myself, um, which kind of leads me into yoga and Buddhism and spirituality. Um, That's been huge. Like the you are not your thoughts kind of thing has just been for someone whose thoughts have like controlled her life and brought so much harm to, to me. Like when someone was like, Hey, that's not actually real. Like, that's not you. 
that was, it's impossible to describe that feeling. It was just like, okay, like yeah, that's, I like that better than what I've kind of been thinking. So I think exploring spirituality um, and med- yoga and meditation has been huge for me. I think, yeah. And then like for specifically, like, for example, with my BFRB, with my skin picking, if any of your listeners are listening and are like, oh, wow, I, that resonates with me. I have a compulsive, like body focused, repetitive behavior. Um, what helped me the most was like finding resources around it. And then ultimately find like the TLC foundation. Um, and then ultimately working with a psychologist that was specialized in that area. And he, he worked with me on acceptance commitment therapy combined with the Combi model, which is a model specifically designed for BFRB recovery. And that's helped me a ton. Um, so that's kind of a specific niche one, but I wanted to point that out in case that's one's resonating with anybody. And then for the eating disorder, you and I were talking about this yesterday. Like I'm certainly don't feel like I have found recovery, mm-hmm. but I've gone through moments where I feel quite healed. And I think the find like what has worked for me is finding the foods that just don't like aren't safe for me and just hijack my brain and being like, okay, I'm just going to stay away from that cake. Like, cause I hate what it does to my brain. And it's, it's not a restrictive, like you're not allowed to have the cake because you're, I, I don't want my body to look a certain way or we'll get fat or anything. Like it's purely like an act of love for me because it's like, we don't like what that cake does to our brain. And I'm not interested in the mental warfare that happens as soon as that enters my system. So I'm going to make the compassionate choice to just eat the chips instead, even though they're not any healthier, but like I can eat chips more in moderation than I can eat cake, you know? So Mm -hmm. with, yeah, with my eating disorder, I'm, I'm definitely not healed, but that one looking at things that way really helped. Um, and then I'm, st- I'm still on that journey to answer your question, I guess. But yeah, that was a big ramble. But did I, did I answer your question? Yeah. Oh, that was great. That was great. Okay. I love um, what you said about you are not your thoughts. Ooh. I love that so much. And I, I also journal too. And I find it helps to just express everything in a, I guess, safe way. So nobody else is going to hear it. Nobody else is going to know um, but then once it's out there, then I don't need to continue like focusing on it for the rest of the day. Absolutely. And once you write it down, you can also like rebuttal it a little bit. Like mm-hmm. you can write down the negative thought and then you can just question it and be like, okay, but logically this. So do we really want to spend all day yeah. listening to that specific story when we know it's not true or it's not real? So I think, yeah, I agree. I think journaling is a fantastic tool for creating that dissociation between your thoughts and your reality. Mm -hmm. I also love that you said your kind of dietary restrictions that you've put on yourself is an act of love. I love that so much because I think that explains it perfectly. It's not, it's not a restriction to make yourself, to make your body or to change your body. It's just a restriction because you know what that does to your brain and it doesn't make you feel good. And that's just out of, out of love for yourself. Yeah. That was a total game changer for me. And I kind of came to that one a few years ago after, um, 
I had a psychologist was trying to kind of help me through my eating disorder. And she was, she was just like, what, what would you do if you had no restrictions and you just went to the store and you bought whatever you wanted and you just ate whatever you wanted. (laughs) And I gained so much weight (laughs) so fast because I consumed so much food because for the first time in my life, I was like, yeah, okay, no restrictions. And I just went haywire. Like Mm -hmm. I, I went nuts for it. Um, and then eventually it got to a point where like, I was just like, I am so sick of this. Like I am so sick of as soon as that sugar enters my system, I no longer have control. I'll be at a birthday party. I'm no longer present. I'm just thinking about how can I slip away and eat the rest of that cake? Or it bothers me so much that someone can eat one piece of cake and be content. Like for some reason, I'm like, fuck you. Like that, <laughs> like screw you and your moderation. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and so I think I like finally got to a point where it was just like a surrender where it was just like, I'm done. I'm done this fight. Like I'm not interested. I'm not, I'm not game for this anymore. And so it was like, it was so much easier for me to go to the birthday party and just not have a piece of cake and just to have whatever else I needed to have in that moment than it was for me to go to the birthday party, have one piece of cake and then spend the whole birthday party wishing I could have the rest of the cake and hating everyone else for just being happy to eat one piece. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, so it was, it was just, it really came to me where I was just like, it wasn't restriction. It was, it was just a a surrender and like a, um, I'm choosing peace in this moment, Mm -hmm. not war. Because that's what that is for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm curious about your skin picking because I have not had much exposure to that or that concept um, in my life, really. So I, I guess, like, is that just a way to distract yourself and to just get out of your head? Or, like, how does that work for you? Yeah. Really good question. So... With skin picking or any body-focused repetitive behavior, um, it's the reason that there's not a one-size-fits-all recovery model is because there's not a one-size-fits-all like condition. Like it mm-hmm. serves everybody differently. So I can speak to my experience and the way that I used it um, and still use it sometimes. And for me, like the biggest one is, is it's an escape from my own thoughts because as we've established my thoughts can just be garbage and so harmful and so when I'm picking at my skin I am so hyper focused on my skin like I am one inch away from the mirror or my head is down and like everything else goes away in that moment and it is the best feeling in the whole world because nothing else can turn off my brain and my annoying little chatty brain the way that my skin picking can nothing so for me it serves a real like cognitive function in that it provides me relief from my really harmful thoughts um or it can also um yeah my, i kind of alluded to this but my best description of it is a People with um, BFRBs have a highly sensitive nervous system. And so our just right zone is quite small. So every you can think of everybody's nervous systems as is it like a speedometer or something in your car where mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, okay, over here you're really understimulated. You're watching TV, you're bored, 
you're at work, you don't want to be there. You're sitting in a room by yourself and you're just like, you can't, you, you don't know where your phone is and you're just killing time or whatever. Like you're really understimulated. Over here, you are really overstimulated. So you're studying for an exam. You're completely overwhelmed. Work is so stressful. Um, you're having relationship challenges, like whatever. It's really stressful. And then there, everyone has that just right zone. But for people who live with BFRBs, that just right zone is so narrow. So we like really easily fall to one side or the other. And so in a lot of ways, it can bring me up when I'm down. Like if I'm watching TV and my nervous system is really understimulated, really bored, I'll engage in the behavior or on the other end of the spectrum, I'm at work, I'm super stressed out. I'll just like lean back in my chair and pick at my shoulder and like it'll bring me back into an equilibrium point. So it's a, it's a hijack into the nervous system. Um, so, but the comb, like the comprehensive behavioral model, like it's, yeah, definitely look into the COMB model, COMB model. Um, if this is something that resonates with you because it's so complex and it's, it serves so many different functions for people. But to answer your question for me, the number one was relief and escapism. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And also what's interesting for me is that I didn't develop it until I was like 19 or 20. Um, and like often people are like 18 months old. I was pulling my hair out. Like it starts like really, really young. Wow. Like I've been to a few conferences now um, for people with BFRBs. Like there's like international conferences that you can go to or retreats. And I've been to both and there'll be like a five-year-old kid running around with no hair because she pulled all of her hair out because a traumatic experience happened to her and this was her way of coping with it. Um, so it often will start really, really, really young. Um, I was a bit of an anomaly in that like I was kind of okay. I was a highly anxious kid, whatever. And then gradually, as we talked about those like early adult years, a lot of things happened for me. And I think my body was just like, okay, like I've found a hack and I'm going to make us better and I'm going to take us away from all of this pain. So here you go. And I discovered it when I was that old. And the way that it works is that you can never actually fully recover. Like once you have a BFRB, you have a BFRB. You can put it into remission through a ton of work, which is kind of where I'm at right now. I've got it kind of into remission. Um, but the reality of the situation is like, if next week something super traumatic happened to me, mm -hmm. chances are I will lean on my BFRB because it is something that I know helps me cope. Wow. It's like a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting one. Yeah. Okay. So now that you're kind of, I guess, reflecting on your whole journey and looking back over the whole journey, is there any advice that you would give your younger self or is there any advice that you wish that somebody would have given you back then? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think if someone would have told me a lot earlier on than when I discovered it at like 23, 24, mm -hmm. that happiness does not exist in a smaller pant size. Happiness is not waiting for me in Vancouver. Um, yeah. Everything you know, like everything that I'm possibly searching for in the world, like exists inside of me right now. And if I can get rid of all of the noise through healthy coping mechanisms, um, 
then you can be okay right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's what I would want to have known a long time ago. I probably wouldn't have believed him. I would have been like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to keep dieting and planning out my future and whatever. But um, I think that that would have been really helpful to hear. I hope I would have believed this person coming back from the future to tell me this. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Like one of my favorite kind of analogies for it, clearly I speak in a lot of analogies, I guess, but my yoga teacher was describing this to me. We were actually talking about like subtle anatomy and like different yoga stuff, but he kind of explains it. Like if someone, um, if you're holding like five textbooks in your hand and someone walks by and like gently places a penny on top of the textbooks, like you're not going to notice that there is a penny now on top of your hand at all. But if you have your palm open and it's empty and someone walks by and places a penny on it, like you're going to feel that you're going to notice it. And so I think I like that. I like thinking of it that way because life is kind of about like getting rid of those textbooks and just like, removing all of these other filters and experiences that you have on your life and just like experiencing life like purely as it's happening how it's happening without all of your like I I kind of picture like I'm going through life with goggles on like I'm not actually experiencing reality as it is I'm experiencing it through all of my stories Um, And so it's kind of like, I like this idea of like, you can actually get rid of these stories, you can silence them for times, and just experience life as it is in this current moment. And so I think I would want to tell myself that, and start working on that at a younger age, um, because it's not easy. It's like life's work. um, But that would be something helpful. And just... I think something that I still would want to hear from myself is like that, like you're okay. And like to be kinder to yourself. And I think I, I don't, I definitely haven't mastered this. Like I'm like, unfortunately I'd be lying here if I was like, I absolutely love myself. I adore myself. I have the best relationship I've ever had with myself. Like that's not the case. I still like deeply struggle with self love. Um, But just love yourself, find a way or not even, I think I saw something where it was like, you don't even have to love yourself, but you just have to like accept it, accept yourself Mm -hmm. to start. And I think that would be something that would be helpful for me to hear from myself is just start working away on that self-acceptance because that searching that you're doing and everybody else, like you're the only one capable of giving it to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. It's the same as with, say, with family members or or friends that make decisions that you might not necessarily agree with. You don't have to agree with what they're doing, but just you should respect respect it, you know? And so I think that's the same with yourself. You don't necessarily have to be completely in love with yourself, but show yourself the same respect and don't kind of put yourself down you know what I mean yeah like it's so it's so interesting for me because I'm I'm so compassionate and I'm so I'm so empathetic like I really feel others pain like I'm a vegetarian I'm so kind to like the ants on the ground I'll step around them you know like I don't want to cause harm to anything or anyone I'm so like so gentle with others but then like I'm 
so harsh and so cruel to myself. And it's like, if I was as kind to myself, like an ounce of it, as I am to every other person in the world, my life would be so much easier. Like, (laughs) for some reason, I'm so cruel and so hard on myself. So, yeah, I kind of like that idea of just, like, take that acceptance and grace and love that you give others and try to find a way to provide that for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Easier said than done, but. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I want to shift to your podcast. Um, Your podcast is called How to Be Okay So That Everything Else Doesn't Have to Be. And I love it so much. I love the whole concept behind it. Um, For everyone that's listening or maybe people that haven't heard of it, can you kind of describe the premise behind it and how you got started with it? Yeah, for sure. So I think I've, I've always loved storytelling um, and I've always loved to connect with people on a deep level. Um, and so I've, I've had this like draw to podcasting for a few, quite a few years. Like I told you when I moved home from Vancouver and I read that book and I had this big epiphany about how life's not actually about the pursuit of happiness. I actually started a blog called The Non-Pursuit of Happiness. And that was my first experience, just like writing out my story and sharing it with the world. And I doubt anybody ever read it. But that would, to me, was like a really cool process because it was the first time where I was like, I feel like I have something important to say. Um, I don't really know what yet, but like I'm having some things happen in my life and I love to write and I love to share. So I started a blog. And that was great, but I found as a perfectionist, it would take me like two weeks to write a blog post because I would just look at the words over and over and over again. And I was just not efficient in it at all. And so I was like, what if I just spoke? Like, what if I just talked into a mic and I feel like I would be less critical and less perfectionistic about it? And so that was when I started my first podcast Um a number of years ago called The Non-Pursuit of Happiness. And I loved it, but I had no idea what I was doing. I did no best practices. I just like recorded into my like mic feature on my phone and then like uploaded that to the hosting site. And there was like, no, I didn't learn the technical side of podcasting at all or the business side of it. Um, And that was purely, I think, a necessary step for me because that was the first time that I really like put my full full story out there. And it was because I was like working with my psychologist at the time about how I have always put a very filtered version of myself out into the world for all of the reasons that we've talked about. Like uh, there would be me and then there would be the filtered perfected version that everybody else would see. And that's kind of how I went through life. And my psychologist really started like calling me out on it. And um, that podcast was my first experience just like saying out loud, like I have skin picking disorder. I have a binge eating disorder. Um, For some reason, it's always been easier for me to say like, oh, I have anxiety, I have depression, I have an eating disorder. But like binge eating and skin picking for me are like harder to say. I think just because they sound like, really uncool or something. I don't know. I just always struggled to like own those particular ones. But I like said them out loud for the first time. 
And I think that was an absolutely like necessary step for me. But then I this this past year wanted to like get real about it. And like I had the non-pursuit of happiness no longer really captured where I was at in my journey. Um, and so I wanted to like start fresh with a new podcast. And um, I was trying to figure out like the concept for forever, like this past year. And I guess I landed on how to be okay so that everything else doesn't have to be because that's pretty much like my life story is like trying to make everything else okay in, des- in a desperate attempt to feel okay. And so that led to me for like all of my compulsions, like food, um, skin picking, like dating anxiety. I like, I've never actually been in like a really serious relationship because I have like tremendous dating anxiety because I couldn't like, um, I think that comes down to self-love and whatever else that could be a whole other podcast, but there's just all of these different parts of myself. And so I'm like, I can't be the only one that's like desperately trying to feel okay outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And when I thought about it, I'm like, I feel like everything that we're all trying to seek help for, like any type of addiction, um, our obsession with social media, our addictions to our phones are like my friends who are like in like these codependent relationships I'm like there's so many things where I'm like we are all just desperately trying to feel okay and for some reason we believe that it it's going to come to us through all of these external factors and because I've tried them all I was like I'm like I'm ready to be like guys like this isn't actually how we do it like I think that it actually comes as a result of the work that we do on the inside and so that was kind of why I named the podcast that way and originally I wasn't going to do like an interview based kind of structure um but then I realized like I had a lot of fun bringing other people on and sharing their stories because I can speak to skin picking and disordered eating and depression and dating anxiety till I'm blue in the face. But like, that's a really small fraction of Mm -hmm. like all of the different ways humans try to feel okay outside of themselves. And I wanted this to like help as many people as it possibly could. And so I've had people on to talk about addiction, drugs, alcohol, working in the sex industry, um, codependency, um, so many different aspects that, so I feel And plus, I just love connecting with people on a deep level and having, like, real conversations. So it's good for me in that way. Um, And that, yeah, to answer, that was a really roundabout answer as per usual with me. But um, that's kind of how it came to be. I love that. I love that so much. And I love the (laughs) idea that kind of, you've said it on your podcast, that this kind of blissful state of joy and happiness all the time is perceived as normal when it's really not. And that balance point, like that kind of thing is so unrealistic. And I, I love that concept. Yeah. yeah, I'm like very, I'm very passionate about that because I've traced after that for so long. Like I really mm-hmm. thought that like normal was like bliss, happiness, joy, like all of these really intense, positive emotions. And anything that wasn't that was like, oh, I'm, I need to do something to get to that. And that's not our equilibrium point. Like, I think that our equilibrium point as humans is like, we're just, we're okay. Like, we're content. We're fine. Nothing needs to change. Like, I'm inherently 
safe in this moment and I'm good and I've got what I need. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually our equilibrium point. And then we can swing in either direction from there. So I think that's like step one is recognizing that like, guys, we're not supposed to all be happy and excited and ecstatic in every single moment. And I think this is where I have my beef with social media because that really portrays and like makes makes it seem true that because we're just looking at people's highlights reels all day long right where we're like oh my god everybody's so happy all the time and then thank you for bringing that point up because it kind of brings me to my second point for like why I'm also really passionate about this topic and um I actually talk about this a lot in an upcoming episode but I like we live in a capitalist society right and that's again and I'm not an economist and I'm not proposing another economic system that we should subscribe to at all but I think with business or with capitalism, it's important to recognize that it comes with business and with business, they need to market to sell their product, to make a profit, Mm -hmm. to be a business. And I have been to have a marketing major, (laughs) so I kind of understand marketing and pretty much at marketing's core is this idea that you have to kind of create like a gap in someone to fill it with your product. Otherwise, why would they buy your product if they don't, they're fine on their own. And so the whole marketing industry or like think of any industry, like the fitness industry, the beauty industry, the self-help industry, the um, fashion industry, they first have to make us feel like, or the technology industry, iPhone is the perfect example. They first have to make us feel like we're not okay on our own. And like they knock us out of equilibrium because they're like, they show like, because of Photoshop, they make us think that our body should look a certain way that our we should have the best wardrobe and there's trends that we need to keep up with and we need to have the best iPhone and the newest car because they make us feel like we do. And then they're like, okay, don't worry. We've knocked you out of equilibrium, but like all you have to do to feel okay again is like buy our product, like change the external. And so we buy the product, we get the Botox, we, we buy the new car, we get the new iPhone and then we feel okay for like 0.5 seconds. And then someone else will come in and like try to get us to buy a tea, tea talks. Like <laughs> it's, it's never ending hamster wheel. Yeah. Um, and it's our society like exists off of it. Cause we live in a capitalist society that's like going to need to sell their products. They need to market their products to market their products. They need to make us feel like we need to buy the products. So they need to knock us out of equilibrium. So it's just interesting to think about when you're like, Oh my God, we're on this hamster wheel of people feeding us this message from all of the different ways that like we're inherently not okay and that to be okay we just need to buy their product mm-hmm. um and so I don't have a solution but I do think it's like helpful yeah. to just recognize that and just like when you go to buy something like whether you want to buy a new foundation like just question like okay that's fine like I want to buy this foundation but like Am I doing it because I hate my skin tone and I think I'm ugly without this product? Or is it just because I think makeup's really fun and it brings me joy to do my makeup? Mm-hmm. Then, like, just ask yourself why you're buying the product. Like, what is your intention behind it? And just kind of be aware of if you're on the hamster wheel or not. Wow, I've never thought about it that way before, but that is such a good point. Yeah. Yeah, oh and gosh. I only know this so well because I've been on that hamster wheel, and I'm not 
trying to put myself up on some pedestal. Like I am often on that hamster wheel still. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, like I'm a product of the society that I was raised in. Like I'm still have my eating disorder. I still want to have the right clothes. I still want to have nice skin. I still want to have a good job. Like, so even though you're aware of it, I think, I think that's like one of being one of my biggest lessons is like, just like how, like I kind of say, like, it, just like a doctor is like, okay, I, I want to be a doctor. Like, I recognize that and that's how I want to be. They don't like just like become a doctor. Like mm-hmm. they have to go to school and put in resources, energy, time, learn skills, build tools. Like, and I think that like recognizing that happiness exists on the inside is the same. Like I know it like intellectually, logically, I understand that looking a certain way, having a certain life on the outside isn't going to bring me happiness. I still spend like 80% of my time chasing happiness mm-hmm. on the outside because yeah. it's so, it's so hard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On your podcast, you um, like to ask these kind of rapid fire questions to some of your guests. So oh no, I, you're going to throw it back at me. <laughs> I'm curious what your answers would be for them. So I would love to throw those back at you if that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't even remember what the questions are, but hit me. Okay. Um, I am most okay when? I am most okay when I'm journaling. Oh, I like that one. I have the firmest grasp on reality, I think. I'm like not as far up in the clouds as I can get to any other given moment. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Okay. Um, A misconception about being okay I believed for too long is? That happiness existed someplace outside of myself yeah yeah okay and then the last one is when I don't feel okay something I do to feel okay on the inside is take my dog for a walk and listen to a podcast or have a bath with a glass of wine and bubbles and my favorite songs playing yeah oh, those are like my go-to yeah. things that has gotten me through COVID yeah <laughs> simple pleasures oh I love that Okay, I have one question that I usually ask all of my guests as well. Um, So this is the last one that I have for you. But is there a stigma or a misconception surrounding mental health that bothers you the most or that you hear most often but isn't true? That's a really good question. Um, I think my I immediately go to BFRBs and body-focused predictive behaviors because it is so misunderstood. And so, like, one in 20 people suffer from a BFRB, but, like, nobody knows what they are. Yeah. Like, and since I've started talking about it, like, multiple friends of mine have come forward and been like, oh, I do that. Like, I don't maybe pull out my hair, but I'm constantly twisting at it and kind of pulling at the split ends of it constantly to the point where I have, like, wrist issues. Or um, I'm constantly biting my nails to the point where, like, I have an infection right now. Like, it we don't realize how common it is. So like the stigma that I want to break is that it's a bad habit. It's not, it's like a neuro nervous system condition. Um, and it's something that you can get help for. And it's not just a bad habit. I'm very passionate about communicating that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a good one. Yeah. I hope, I really hope that someone's listening today and that resonates with them and they go to the tlcfoundation.org. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
Okay, well, that was all the questions that I think I had for you. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Yeah, um, I don't think so. I think we kind of hit it. You asked awesome questions, and I feel like I shared everything that I wanted to touch on. And I guess similar to you, I feel like we could probably talk forever, and maybe yeah. <laughs> some point down the road we should do like a part two collaboration and yeah. check in with each other and see how we're doing. But no, I think um, this was really fun for me. So thank you so much for having me on. This was this was so fun. Absolutely. This was such a great conversation. Yeah. Um, okay. So if people want to reach out to you or have like more questions for you, where can they find you or what is the best way to do that? Yeah, so best way, so I'm on Instagram, how to be okay underscore podcast, I think. Um, and they can just DM me. I see all my messages there. Um, if you're not on Instagram, um, I actually have a website, howtobeokay.ca. But the best way to just reach out to me directly is to just email me, laura at howtobeokay.ca is my email for the podcast and I would love to hear from people and they can check out my podcast it's available on um apple apple podcasts and spotify and all the places where you can find podcasts that's perfect awesome yeah awesome well, well thank you again thank Alana. You. this was so so fun and yeah I had a blast this was great thank you so much for coming on and being so open about all of your struggles and so vulnerable with me I'm so I feel so privileged to hear your story and so thank you thank you so much for tuning in today feel free to reach out at any time you can contact me on Instagram and Facebook at stomp the stigma yyc and you can email me at stomp the stigma yyc at gmail.com If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you or someone you know would like to come on, I would love to have you share your story, speak your truth, and together we can stomp the stigma.